We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. And welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just... Horrifying. Beware. Sheriff, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Maggot Head Jason. We're talking Hot Tommy Jarvis. And we're talking Hit the Noise and Cherries. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And Joe, uh, what were you going to be when you grew up? <laughs> okay, I did laugh at that line, I will admit. <laughs> there are so many funny things in this movie. From the, I mean, Not just even the jokes, but also the editing. Everyone, we are discussing, finally, Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason lives. And what do you mean, finally? Like, <laughs> people have been banging down the door waiting for this one? This is not the one they're waiting for, sir. No, people love this one. All right, all right, so y'all, all right, we have covered, let's see, we went from Jason Goes to Hell. Correct. To Jason X. Yes. To Friday the 13th, Part 7, A New, the yes. new Blood. So, mm-hmm. oh, wow. So we've done 7, 9, 10, and now 6. So we're really, we're just ignoring the first half of this franchise. <laughs> More or less, yeah. Um, but no, I feel like people always want to know about this one. Because, yeah, th- th- this is, it's not like the dark horse in the franchise. It's mm-hmm. just compared to, especially the first five, it is the most unique. Um, of course, the franchise would continue to get weirder and weirder as it went on. Oh, sure. But I do think this is probably the smartest the franchise has been. And again, we're grading right. on the Friday the 13th scale here but i will still stand by that statement i think that that is a good barometer because you you definitely sold this to me as the meta friday the 13th so i was prepared for that going in and well i still don't love this because i don't really end up loving most of the friday the 13th i do agree with you this is a smart iteration of this and i think it's it's knowingly smart right like it's not a messy mistake it's not a desperate cash grab yeah it's i don't know it it does seem far more thoughtful than a lot of the other films in this franchise it's just for me it's still kind of a generic yeah. part of the 13th film don't worry you you don't need to come in with your shields up with me i, I this is actually my favorite <laughs> entry in the franchise so for me it's it's a six two four like that's my top three okay okay but that being said, this is our fourth one of all the Friday films we've covered. Uh, is Jason Goes to Hell still your favorite? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that film is so stupid and weird. I love it. 
Okay, so again, listeners, this is what I'm working with here. There's a point in arguing with Joe and trying to convince him that this is an amazing movie. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not even you I'm afraid of. It's the listeners. I'm scared of the listeners. Yes, because this is a very beloved franchise. It is. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I-, I will confess, Joe. So, I mean, while this is my favorite entry in the franchise, it, it, you reached out to me last night because you were like, oh, yeah, I'm like, because it was your first time watching it. Um, yes. I had watched this in probably about two years when I did my last Friday 13th marathon. Okay. But um, you said, you know, you had issues because it was like, oh, it's kind of narratively go- goes back and forth, bouncing around between people. And you wanted more screen time with these other people. And I was mm-hmm. in my head. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, that, that is true. On the rewatch last night, I was kind of like, oh, fuck. <laughs> 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 you got it in my head because I, I know there are so many characters. Where I'm like, God, I, I want more of these characters because I like them. Why are yes. we spending time with these other idiots over here that mean absolutely nothing to the plot? Yeah, it it's probably one of the reasons that I don't love the Friday films as much as other people do, because I get really frustrated when this franchise introduces characters so that it can kill them off less than one minute later. It feels like it's driven entirely by fan bloodlust. And while I totally get it, like totally, totally get mm-hmm. it, we love our kills, we're horror fans through and through, sure, it would be better if this film didn't have any characters and it just did that it was just jason killing people one after another but then you give me sissy and you give me paula and you even give me court yeah (laughs) and you know sure we get plenty of time with megan we get plenty of time with tommy yeah we get a surprising amount of time with sheriff garris yeah that's the problem for me (laughs) but it's just yeah like you can't introduce these really vibrant supporting characters in these counselors and then give them barely anything to do but then give me whole sequences with this corporate paintball-y bullshit. I'm just like, oh, why is this okay. in here? No. Come on, the, the paintball stuff. I, I love the paintball. Because it, it is so dumb. I mean, the film is funny before that part. But, like, it is really <laughs> the film embracing how how tongue-in-cheek it is taking everything. Right. Now, again, is this the smartest film in the world? No. no. Is this the most meta film in the world? No. no. But the fact that this is a Friday the 13th film in 1986, again, mm-hmm. 10 years before Scream comes out... It's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, for the time, it actually was really meta. (laughs) Yeah, but this is also five years after Student Bodies. Yeah, okay, but that's a parody. That's not unheard of, but you could, well, I mean, you could turn this movie into a parody. Mm -hmm. Fans would revolt. But, like, compared to the five previous entries of more of the same, more of the same, oh, we'll try something different with five, but still give them more of the same, uh, and then we would hate it anyway. (laughs) And I think I even primed you before this. I was like, it is meta, but make no mistake, right. it is still a Friday the 13th film. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And that's probably the best way to approach it. It's a meta version of the same thing that we've seen before. So it is smart. There's a lot of clever parts to this, but yeah. at the end of the day, it ended up being more of the sum of the parts as opposed mm-hmm. to the whole film for me. That is a completely fair reasoning. So, okay, well, wh- why don't we, uh, let's go into this production. So <laughs> Okay. Everyone, full disclosure, like we have done with the rest of these films, we aren't going to go too, too in-depth. Although, I don't know, maybe I have two pages of notes. But uh, (laughs) because we have Crystal Lake memories, uh, go to the Halloweenies podcast, our sister podcast on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network to um, hear them really, really, really go in-depth about this film. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to cover the highlights. Sure. So, although the previous film in the series, Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning, and uh, that you have not seen that one either, right, Joe? Uh, which one is that that's the one where it's not really jason it's roy in a mask oh no i have seen that one okay okay right. bad 
Uh, <laughs> it, it is very bad. But that's one where, like, I saw it in college and I really, really liked it. And I couldn't understand why everyone hated it. Mm-hmm. And then what, doing the marathon two years ago, I was like, this is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. Like, it is now bottom of the rank for me. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Especially coming off of four, right? Yeah, and four is one too where it's like I mean I don't again it's not an amazing movie but it kind of like is like a greatest hits of one through three and I think mm-hmm. it like, I would rather watch four than one through three I'm actually I'm sorry I would rather watch two than four but then four over one and three oh my god <laughs> I know anyway okay so part five earned twenty two million dollars on a two point two million dollar budget which um, yeah. was a far cry from the final chapters part four uh, thirty three million dollar gross on a two point six million dollar budget I mean. Sure, yes, it is less, but those budgets to gross are astronomical, mm-hmm. these greedy motherfuckers, is what I I'm know. saying. I mean, literally, part five is ten times its budget. Yeah, shut Wild. up. <laughs> so, but nevertheless, that movie had disappointed the series fans and received some of the worst reviews of any film in the series. So, Fair. in order to prevent further alienating the fans and thus potentially endangering the series, the producers decided to take the series in a new direction, moving it away from what producer Frank Mancuso Jr. called the uh, coarse nature of A New Beginning. Because uh, A New Beginning is very much... Um, it's just very mean-spirited. It's very mm-hmm. drug-fueled. I think there was a lot of cocaine done on the set of that movie. Right. Shocking. 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 I'm 1985. Who knew? <laughs> uh, to this end, Mancuso hired Tom McLaughlin, who uh, had directed the successful horror film One Dark Night, which I had never heard of before. But, Joe, mm-hmm. the two lead female characters are Meg Tilly and E.G. Daly. Okay. You probably don't know who that is. But no, so I don't know who the second one is, but yeah. It's it's the voice of Tommy Pickles from Rugrats, but she also does, like, has a lot of like bit parts in Rob Zombie movies. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, very random. Uh, and she's, uh, but also Adam West is like the opening scene cameo, but it follows three teenagers sent to a mausoleum for the night as part of a high school initiation rite, but mm-hmm. then a dead telekinetic occultist returns from the dead and haunts them, forcing the three girls to survive the night inside the crypt. Okay, you know what? I think I've heard the Gaylords of Darkness episode on this one because that all sounds very familiar. Oh my god! It's I was like I never heard of this. It sounds so fun. Um, want to watch it? But anyway, sure. so he does that movie, and they're like, "Cool, you seem like a good fit for Friday the Thirteenth." So. He was known around Hollywood for shopping around various comedy scripts he had written, uh, something that appealed to Mancuso. I know. McLaughlin was given free reign on how he would present the story because he said, you know, he'd only seen the first one. And so he had to go to Paramount Studios and he watched the first five back to back in a day. Oh, no. (laughs) I know. And, you know, I made that joke about more of the same earlier, but um, that is... Oh, boy. Uh, Marathoning these films. They are fun, but man, they blend together after a while. Well, that's just it, right? And and I guess in that way, it would be a very good crash course because you would immediately understand okay this is what the series is known for because it does it in every fucking one of these and then if i want to do something differently here's my opportunity to make a mark exactly exactly and so he goes up to him and he's like okay how would you feel mr mancuso jr if i made it funny if i put some humor into this and mancuso didn't really balk it much at first all he did was he said you know what do it because the only rule he had was that he had to bring back jason and he could not make the humor pointed at Jason. So Jason could never be the butt of a joke and he could never be, well, he could never be funny. But I say that, but there are parts where Jason does things that are quite funny in this movie. Yeah, I almost wonder if that was on the sly. You know, ooh, yeah. he's not really going to notice us because there are other more obvious jokes. It's possible, but I mean, I'm even thinking about, again, during that paintball scene where he throws the guy into the tree and his arm comes off. Oh, I do like that. Yeah. 
Well, and funnily, so, you know, we get the shot of him just looking. He raises the machete and the guy's severed arm is still attached to it. Mm-hmm. In an extended deleted scene, you actually get to see Jason, like, kind of cock his head and then pull the Ooh. arm off the machete. Okay, okay. So, it's fun. So that was a bridge too far, is what we're saying. Uh, I, th- I think that was actually the MPAA. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. fuck. I forgot we're going to be dealing with them because it's a Jason movie. Yeah, it's not as... Oh, we'll get to it in a bit. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> McLaughlin decided to take the film in the direction of an old Universal Monsters movie, specifically the 1931 version of Frankenstein, which portrayed the monster as a lumbering killer brought to life by electricity, which... um, Right. It's the start of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He also drew from vampire lore in order to give Jason a weakness, um, namely by returning him to his home soil. He disregarded the idea presented in part two that Jason had survived his drowning, instead presenting the idea that Jason had always been some sort of supernatural force. He also decided to retcon the ending of five, um, and in case you forgot what that was, or, um, you know, through Joe and you... Well, forgot. Right. <laughs> uh, that, that ending has Tommy recovering in the hospital when he has another hallucination of Jason, but he faces oh. his fears. It makes Jason disappear. But then Pam, the worst final girl in the franchise, uh, <sighs> runs upstairs, smashes the window. It looks like he's escaped. And then he comes out from behind the door wearing Roy's hockey mask mm-hmm. and wields a kitchen knife. And then we scream and black out, cut to black. Right. Isn't that kind of the same thing that either Halloween four or five did with jamie that is the end of four okay. yes oh yeah. i'm sorry and then five retcons i like it's a yes. dream <laughs> exactly right they they love to do these Ooh, the children victims are going to become the mass murderers oops no we don't want to do that never mind well okay so i love this too though so this is a quote i think maybe from wikipedia maybe from an interview that i found but um it says in fact pam's truck from the fifth film can be seen in the movie it's the truck Tommy's driving to to the graveyard in the beginning. Right, okay. Indicating that Pam is alive. And I was like, if anything. It... <laughs> if anything. The fact that he has her car and she is not in it with him mm-hmm. would imply that she is dead. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, if you squint, you can see her body under a tarp in the pickup. <laughs> funny, funny. I actually didn't know this either, but in the video game Friday the 13th, there were things called Tommy tapes that you could find. I never found these because I apparently, I, I never had luck. Like, you know, in the game, you're pulling open drawers and nightstands, you're looking for like weapons and sometimes you'll find a tape. It's an audio recording. Okay. Director Adam Green, who did like Mayhem, Wrong right. Turn 2, right, um, right, right. he wrote these. But one of the tapes in that game explained that the ending of the fifth film was Tommy's dream. Ugh, come on, people. <laughs> that was 2017, by the way. <laughs> so, McLaughlin further decided to expand the series' thematic scope, incorporating action film elements and postmodern meta humor. Uh, characters know about the existence of horror films and recognize them. One mm-hmm. character breaks the fourth wall and talks directly to the audience at one point. In addition to Frankenstein, McLaughlin also wanted to incorporate some gothic horror, particularly the works of Edgar Allan Poe and his Catholic upbringing. Um, I don't know how much of that really made it in here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the Catholic upbringing, yes, because we have the girl who's praying when Jason is literally like a face away from her and then he like doesn't kill her. Oh, you mean Nancy, the girl with the bad dream? Yeah. (laughs) It was funny. McLaughlin in his interviews, he was like, I actually named her after... I think it was a family member or something. He was like, it wasn't really after Nancy, but it just kind of yeah, worked out sure. that way. <laughs> well, okay. I get, I get what you're saying, Joe, but he then cops to like, okay, like uh, we have a carpenter in here who's named after John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. We have a couple others. I forgot them already, but you know, there's a bunch of references in this movie with, with the names. <laughs> just seems a little suspicious, but sure. Okay. I know, but it's like, why would you deny that one and cop to all the others? You know? Yeah. 
So, the decision to retcon those events of Part 5, though, resulted in many members of that film's cast, whose characters had survived. So, we got Pam, Reggie, and, well, Tommy. Mm -hmm. They had their contracts to return for a sequel terminated. Oh. At one point in time when Jason Lives was being considered as a direct sequel to A New Beginning rather than to the final chapter, the surviving characters Pam and Reggie were to have died in the film's opening moments, which would have been fine with me because they both suck. <laughs> yeah, but this way we don't have to deal with them at all, so isn't it even better? You are correct. No, there was this literally, there's a part in five where Reggie runs up to Pam and he's like, uh, Pam, help, help me. And she just grabs him and starts shaking him. She's like, Reggie, what is it? what is it and then she he's like trying to talk but he's like stop it what is it reggie <laughs> so stupid um mancuso retained control over the film's casting but he deferred to mclaughlin's judgment the only caveat was that the final girl had to be uh and i quote a very attractive blonde shocker yeah well and actually he found someone good in jennifer cook because uh mm -hmm. he watched v the tv miniseries and that's where he plucked her from Okay, interesting. I love this idea that people are being discovered from things like TV miniseries, but V was a huge fucking deal, so I'm not that surprised. Well, I because she hasn't really done much else after this movie, but she was a main part of that V. I've never seen the original miniseries, but she was a big mm. part of it. The role of uh, of Hawes, Tommy's would-be sidekick who dies in the first five minutes of the movie, was given to another television veteran, Ron Polio, famous for the role of Horshack on Welcome Back, Cotter. And I only bring him up because he is the film's sole gay actor. Well, there may have been more, but he was a gay actor. <laughs> okay. I quite liked him. I knew that he died because, I mean, I've listened to Kill by Kill and I've read a little bit about this franchise, but mm -hmm. I was disappointed because I really wanted him to stick around. He was the same person dealing with Tommy's uh, wildness in this opening <sighs> sequence. And I was like, ah, you're going to kill the person who's being rational. Bummer. So I, I actually like Tom Matthews in this movie, but oh, I sure. don't like Tommy in this movie. <laughs> Like, I like him, but, like, he's just, like, again, he's just this kind of wet blanket to all the other fun, colorful characters. That, and I would argue that he's almost ill-defined because he's just entirely driven by the need to find and destroy Jason. Like, that's an arc. That's not a character. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Well, he was obviously a recast. He was the third actor in three films we have playing Tommy Jarvis. Mm-hmm. John Shepard, who was Tommy in Part 5, was asked to reprise his role, but he was an evangelical Christian and had reservations about returning to the series based on the atmosphere surrounding A New Beginning. Wow. Okay. What attracted him to Jason Lives was the scene of Nancy praying and surviving. Right. He was like, let's just goose that part up a little bit more, and then I may be in. Yeah, exactly. But he eventually decided not to, so they found Tom Matthews after uh, looking at his work in Return of the Living Dead. Okay. I thought you were going to say by looking at Playgirl, because he <laughs> looks like a male model. <laughs> he does have that bone structure, right? Mm-hmm. And that, ooh, enviable hair. <laughs> yes, very much so. And actually, his visage is the one that is used for Tommy in the game. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. He's also the adult version of Tommy. Very much so. In, in the game, the whole thing is basically like, um, at a certain point, you have to find a radio, and you have to fix the radio. And when you radio... One of the dead characters, so if, you have a, if you're a player and you've died, you, one of them will be resurrected as Tommy Jarvis, and he will have a shotgun. And so he'll have like a, a one-up advantage on Jason in the game. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, in keeping with the series tradition, the role of Jason was given to a stuntman, Mr. Dan Bradley. But after the first day of filming, which, Joe, you'll love to know this, the first day of filming was the paintball scene. Buh. Okay. 
as so I don't know if this is why the scene is in here, but the actors in this scene are all played by members from Tom McLaughlin's mime troupe in L.A. Okay. Is one of the guys Tom the neighbor from Cougar Town? No. Okay. Um, yeah, and so uh, he cast all these people that he knew, but I was like, okay, well, did you write the scene for them, or was this scene already here, and you were like, let me cast mm. my buddies in it? Yeah, it definitely reeks of the latter, because it just sort of feels like, hey, let's throw a bunch of people to do some wacky sitcom-esque bits. Like, this felt like a Police Academy film to me. Okay, but it's funny. <laughs> uh, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, my God. Uh, is well, it? Anyway, so um, although the scenes that Bradley filmed, in which, again, Jason kills the paintball playing executives, mm-hmm. were kept in the completed picture. So that scene, we I, we do have a... Di- Maybe that's the issue you have. Maybe it's a different Jason. Your, your mind is like, something isn't right here. <laughs> the ass doesn't look as tight as the other scenes where I get to see Jason walking. <laughs> so... Uh, the rest of the scenes were performed by C.J. Graham, an area restaurant manager and former soldier. So how they found him, I don't know. But wait, you didn't say what happened to the first guy. He just shot the one scene and then that was it? Yeah. So I found something that said Tom McLaughlin was not happy with this performance. But I just watched the Crystal Lake Memories uh, segment from this film. And he says that the producers came to him and said they were. He walked on to set on day two. And the producers was like, hey, we don't like this guy. Wow. Okay. And they got, but they brought in someone new. So okay, but they didn't say what it was about him, right? So okay. weird. Uh, uh, Methinks it was probably personal issues, or like they they did not like him for something beyond his performance as right. Jason Voorhees. So as part of a stage show put on at the rest, oh, I'm sorry, I, I asked a question that I'm literally about to answer. As part of a stage show put on at the restaurant that Graham worked at, a magician would hypnotize audience members and place them in a scenario during which they encountered Jason Voorhees. Graham, who stood six foot three and weighed 250 pounds, was asked to play Jason for the scenario. Jason Lives' special effects coordinator, Martin Becker, was in the audience for one such show and recommended him to Mancuso and McLaughlin, and they were both impressed by his presence and hired him for, to film the remainder of Jason's scenes. Wow. That is wild. I know. Well, because I don't know. They're filming this in, like, outside of Atlanta, so I don't know if this was a thing in Atlanta mm-hmm. or if it was in L.A. Right. Mm. I don't know. This is the only film in the franchise to contain no nudity. The characters in the film's soul sex scene are both fully clothed. Uh, that is the Winnebago sex scene, I believe. Oh, don't don't worry. I remember because it is a highly <laughs> memorable sex scene. <laughs> only 10 more minutes. <laughs> um, so this lack of nudity and sex was a conscious move on McLaughlin's part to distance the Friday the 13th films from their perception as morality tales in which premarital sex is punished by death which I think that's very interesting considering Mm. his major Catholic upbringing but maybe he um I don't know if he's still Catholic or if he's still a practicing Catholic but like maybe he was like not everything they do is right (laughs) y'all right and honestly that's progressive because if you think about the year this film is being made like we are steeped in conservative family values so Mm -hmm. i appreciate that we're trying to distance the idea of sex equals death exactly um although in that scene mclaughlin was pressured by the film's producers to have that actress darcy demoss remove her shirt he only suggested the idea and she refused it because she was like um that was not in my contract right good for her Yep. Filming began on March 10th, 1986 in Covington, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta, and uh, and lasted for 40 days. That is wild. Like, these films have a longer shooting schedule than, like, prestige films that we are getting nowadays. 
also, Joe, that means this film would have been done filming in the middle of April of 86 for an August 1st release date. <sighs> the turnaround. No, thank yep. you. Yep. So as you said, you know, we had some MPAA issues because this is a Friday the 13th film. Uh, mm -hmm. I did pepper most of the fun bits in the death scenes for the plot, but I have a bit of a general uh, summary of some stuff here. So okay. McLaughlin's attempt to deliver a different kind of Friday the 13th film were met with skepticism from some of the producers. Uh, in contrast to the series' other entries, which had to be edited down for violence in order to avoid an X rating, the film's producers requested that McLaughlin add more gore more violence and more murders into the film hmm. this i believe is the idea to be like cool we'll make it more gory than we need to and then right. cut back later which i think is exactly what wes craven did on scream 2 yeah it sounds about right yeah so the original cut of the film contained 13 killings as an in joke in order to appease the studio mclaughlin had to add an additional three killings bringing the total up to 16 and these three kills were martin the gravedigger right and the recently engaged couple on the picnic. So that whole sequence, um, that was added in later. Okay, okay. The film's music was composed by Harry Manfredini, who composed the scores to all the other installments in the franchise. I think there's one after. I think he doesn't do eight. I think he doesn't do uh, Manhattan. But Okay. I will say I really like the score for this. Oh, it's fine. I mean, it's all kind of the same shit. Like, they don't really mm -hmm. change the vibe of the score. Probably until jason goes to hell really um but yeah this is a, it's very um the strings just go at it man yeah it seemed really loud <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh wow i can't even ignore this like i normally accidentally do because it's really in my eardrums <laughs> put that on the on the cd i'm sorry the vinyl case uh, yeah <laughs> it was that's loud we're listening to it now four stars <laughs> It was in my ear holes. But in addition to that, the soundtrack also featured Alice Cooper's He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask, uh, from his album Constrictor. But like, this is a pre-Freddy merchandising thing. Like, we're because uh, don't we get, uh, not Alice Cooper, um, the Doc in, in, in Dream Warriors, but that's not until the year after this. Mm -hmm. The video for this does have footage from the movie and, you know, Jason walking around. So this was like a tie-in with the film. And also this song plays several times throughout the film. Okay, interesting. So the film opens on August 1st, 1986, against fellow newcomers Howard the Duck, <laughs> Gary Marshall's Nothing in Common, nope. and Disney's Flight of the Navigator. Ooh, I like that one. I've never seen it. Um, <laughs> savage. It grossed $6.7 million its opening weekend, ranking number two at the U.S. box office. Now, <gasps> scandalous. I, well, so here's the thing. It was the first Friday film to not open at number one. But... It did open ahead of all of the other newcomers. So out of those four movies, it did do the best. All right. It opened behind Aliens, which was in its third week of release, and it earned $7 million. So it, it had it made $300,000 more, it would have beat Aliens and been the number one movie. Wah, wah. Yeah. Um, ultimately, it would go on to gross a total of $19.5 million against a budget of $3 million. Right, but still less than five. It's still less than five. It's the lowest of the franchise at the time. Wow. It ranked number 46 on the list of the year's top earners, and uh, it would be the first time a Friday the 13th installment did not gross over $20 million and beginning the general decline in box office returns. Um, yeah, as I said, it was the lowest grossing film in the franchise, but part seven, eight, nine, and ten would all make less than part six. <laughs> wow. So it is currently ranked eighth in the franchise's box office hall, if you include the 2009 remake and Freddy vs. Jason. Right, yeah, and those made a lot of money. Yeah. But also inflation, so. 
Yeah, but I mean, because even with inflation, I think Freddy vs. Jason is probably still the highest earner outside of the original Friday the mm-hmm. 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, sure. Yeah. But um, funnily enough, though, Jason Lives would wind up being the best reviewed film in the franchise. Um, <laughs> get ready for these stats, Joe. Mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes, we've got a 46% with Ooh. an average score of 4.9 out of 10. <laughs> Big numbers. Big numbers. Uh, Cinema score audiences gave the film a B, but over on Letterboxd, we are looking at a 6.4 out of 10. Okay. I mean, here's the thing. This is entry number six. The critics are probably so sick of this shit. This is not the franchise for professional film critics, right? This is for the fans. The fans are going to be the ones who either make or break it. So at the end of the day, I mean, I guess they voted with their wallets that they didn't 100% love it, but... Uh, yeah, that's all I gotta say. Well, I mean, critics, nevertheless, critics did uh, um, review this movie. Now, we have some that are like, oh yeah, it's reasonably slick, which, you know, slap that on the poster. But then we also have, uh, it's a gory waste of time. Uh, the humor, while successful, is not enough to liven up the predictability of the story. I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on a gory time. Where's the <laughs> gore? <laughs> I mean, uh, you do see him punch a guy's heart out. Sure. Sure. There, that is extended in the Blu-ray, by the way. Uh, deleted scenes. He it basically shows him like give the heart a little squeeze. Um, it's like an extra shot of the of the heart. Yeah, okay. Of course, our very favorite film critic Gene Siskel, uh, who hates this franchise, uh, spoiled the ending of the first movie in his review in the newspaper in 1980. Mm-hmm. He said that while the film's self-referential humor was good enough to make it the best film in the series, it was not enough to take away from the story being essentially the same as the previous five films, giving it one and a half stars. Yeah. Yeah, folks, if you want more of that story, we actually covered the 40th anniversary of the original Mm. Friday the 13th on Patreon. But um, yeah, big dick move by Siskel. (laughs) And yeah, even modern reviews. I mean, modern reviews will say it's the best one. Some of them, again, depends on what you're looking for in this franchise. But um, a lot of people still agree it suffers from tedious pacing and a lack of gore. Yeah, the pacing is a, a tricky thing. I will say the lack of gore and the thin characters ended up being part of the reason I I just wasn't a huge fan of this. Would you say that you enjoyed part seven more as well? Uh, I feel like part seven. Hmm. I know. Can you remember it? (laughs) No, no, I do. Part seven was a less successful film, but I felt like you could really see the editing and the MPAA interference in that. So it was hard to even judge it according to its own terms. Whereas this feels like basically what they wanted to get onto the screen and it's just like okay yeah it's okay yeah it's a cut below yeah hmm. um I, there was a bunch of stuff i'm almost done but there's a bunch of stuff about like the alternate endings because originally we were gonna have a cliffhanger ending where right. it's revealed that jason's father elias like is behind everything oh god and, no yeah it was like he walked into the grave turns around and it's like i don't know maybe he's gonna name tag this as elias or something or like elias Voorhees, but they they didn't even film this. They did storyboard it. But the issue with that was that Mancuso didn't like the idea of that because it would mean that the next film would have to, to then deal with the Elias character and probably offer a lot of backstory on him. And he didn't want to have to worry about that. Yeah, no shit. That's <laughs> That would be why you would introduce that character is because you wanted to tell that story. <laughs> now, that being said, there is a novelization of this film uh, written by Simon oh, Hawk in 1986. 
The novelization features an appearance by a Mr. Voorhees, Jason's father, who was originally meant to appear in the film, but was cut. Uh, the book also includes various flashbacks to Jason's childhood, and the backstories of characters such as Tommy and Sheriff Garris are also explained. Sure. I don't think <laughs> I want that, but okay. I, I've, I've never read a novelization of a film, and I honestly have no desire to. No shade to people that like it. I know some people really, really, really like those things. Um... I'm just kind of the mindset where I'm like, yeah, but if it's not the screenwriter writing it, then, like, it's not real. Like, it doesn't exist. Well, I mean, sometimes I know that they are based off of original drafts of scripts. So, like, mm. they're actually working in tandem with them. And then when things get cut from the final film, you can actually do, like, a bit of investigation work and figure out what was missing and what would have gone on. Hmm. I I don't mind them. The problem is just, like, sometimes the, the writing just isn't super great. Like, they can feel a little bit pulpy. But I think for folks who are looking to get, like, further details or, like, a, I don't know, spend more time in the world of the film, it's a nice alternative. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll uh, sure. I'll, yeah. I'll never read one, probably. Okay, but fair enough. Sure. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, 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 that's it. Let, let, let's jump into this 86-minute movie. There we go. So, we open on a dark and stormy night as a grown-up <laughs> Tommy Jarvis, played by Tom Matthews, and his friend Hawes, played by Ron Palillo, drive to Eternal Peace Cemetery, where Jason Voorhees is buried. Yep, and let's be clear. <laughs> he wants to do this just to see see mm -hmm. him to make sure he's dead so not only does he have to see the grave mm -hmm. he has to dig him up and i should yep. point out too they do say in part five that he was cremated so that was uh obviously retconned oops okay <laughs> yeah this is where i feel really bad for haas because it's so clear that tommy said we're just gonna go and take a look at the headstone and then tommy's whole plan was always to dig this motherfucker up and haas is just along for this ride Yep, that's it. And um, but but he is the voice of reason, right? He's the one saying like, uh, you know, the part in scary movies when everyone hates, when someone mm -hmm. makes a stupid decision. This is that moment. <laughs> <laughs> you are that person, Tommy. Tommy, you are obsessed. You need to let it go. Why are you so obsessed with me? Oh my God. Yeah, Jason just sits up. Why are you so obsessed with me, Tommy? <laughs> So, yeah, he does end up digging up this grave, opening up that casket, finding the maggot-ridden corpse, uh, impaling it with an iron bar. And, of course, because it's storming, that bar is immediately struck by lightning, not once, but twice, and it reanimates the prolific killer. I love that <laughs> the first time we see the body, it is a skeleton. Like, yes. it is a full-on skeleton with just maggots and worms everywhere. Mm-hmm. The second that lightning hits him, we got a fully fleshed body there. <laughs> Correct. This is how lightning works, Trace. Come on. Obviously. Everybody it, knows this. It not only reanimates the dead, it builds tissue. Yes. And I, I read from a couple of different places that this reanimation via lightning is the reason why he is unstoppable in this movie and potentially moving forward in the franchise because mm -hmm. he is no longer a man, right? He's like a, a force of nature. It seems like people have a preference. They like human walking, maybe kind of, well, I guess he runs in part two and maybe three. Mm -hmm. or, or they like the zombie Jason. Right. Normally people tend to prefer the walking human Jason because those are the quote unquote good entries in the franchise. Okay. I, but I mean, fuck it. Like, what do you, 
give me the zombie Jason. I think this is really fun. It doesn't really do anything different with the character, but um, outside of just making him more invulnerable than he already was. But, <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I also love the look of this Jason. Oh, yeah. This Jason looks great. Um, I also enjoy the repeated close-ups of his tight hiney as he's stomping around in the woods. <laughs> tight hiney. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, seriously, when you said, oh, yeah, Graham was a military dude, I thought, okay, I can see it because dude's got, like... A booty. He's got a a, a booty you can bounce a quarter off of, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, my dad would call those a tea party, as You'd have a tea party on it. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, yes, Jason has been reanimated. He's climbing out of that grave. Tommy tries to light him on fire with gasoline. And sadly, you're in the middle of a storm, Tommy. So your matchbook gets wet and now you can't do it. So McLaughlin was trying to put more atmosphere in here, which I guess maybe that's where the gothic horror is coming from. Oh, maybe. Mm. I don't think there is a ton of scariness in this film. Now, again, your mileage may vary. Um, There is one, there's one sequence that I think is very, very, very well done while being very suspenseful, also being very playful. But I do really like how long Tommy is standing in this grave while we keep cutting back to Jason's open eye, just waiting for him to grab him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we wait to the last possible moment as he's climbing out of this grave before Jason jumps out. (laughs) Too bad, Tommy. (laughs) So, needless to say, he does not manage to light him on fire. This is when uh, Haas tries to protect him. Dear poor Haas. And he, yes, gets his heart punched out. He hits him and then just stands there. <laughs> it <laughs> you seems gotta obvious run away, to dude. me he didn't have a really grand plan. It was kind of a heat of the moment thing. Very much. Yeah. So, Tommy doesn't even check to see if that friend of his is dead. He, I mean, sure, yes, the heart has been ripped out, but... Tommy doesn't even stop. He just books it for the truck. And uh, this is when Jason puts on the mask. He puts on the mask. And then what do we get, Joe? (laughs) This was the way you kept selling it to me. You were like, so this movie's very meta. And you would remember it if you had seen it. Because there's a James Bond opening. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we get these, like, jump cuts that go further and further into his eye. And then we see Jason walk past his own eye and he slashes the screen like james bond we get a splash of blood and then the title comes out of it <laughs> i mean it's just <laughs> it's so very fun. weird it's very like wait what are we doing right now no right okay um, um, imagine going to see those first five movies and then you go see the sixth one and this is what you get? Like, I'm surprised this has been embraced by fans as much as it has been, because mm-hmm. I feel like purists would be like, uh-uh, not my Jason. Yeah, it would be very unexpected, especially this deep into the franchise. Like, maybe in the third film, where you're, they're definitely trying to shake something up, you could see it. But, I mean, I guess that film has its 3D, so it's doing enough to shake things up. I mean, nevertheless, I mean, like, what's a modern franchise? Like, like, not even Scream, because Scream is already meta, but, like, what what is a serious... Imagine Saw. <laughs> <laughs> Jigsaw walks out, and we get a fucking, like, James Bond opening with Saw. Like, what is that? Well, what's the one where we get to see his dick on the operating table? That's kind of a what-the-fuck moment, isn't <laughs> there, it? Yeah, and that is the fourth one, actually, so there you go. <laughs> Although, six is the best one in that franchise, too, so <gasps> there you go. There we go. It's all coming together on the sixes. Super sixes. Super six. So, 
Tommy drives to the Forest Green Police Station, and he attempts to warn Sheriff Garris, who is played by David Keegan, as well as Deputy Rick, I believe. I could not keep sure. any of these deputies apart, but if it is, in fact, Deputy Rick, he is played by Vincent Gustaferro. And they're like, cool, wait, I recognize you from the loony bin. We don't trust anything you're saying. We're going to lock you up. Well, he's like, aren't you the kid whose mother and friends were killed by that maniac? <laughs> it's like, okay, way to bring up his mom's death. Yeah, pretty bucko. sure that your mom getting murdered doesn't make you uh, a person of interest. Well, nevertheless, he immediately is put in this jail cell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, wouldn't you just leave? I'm sorry, why even go to the cops? This is not your problem. Like, just go home. <laughs> um, Chase, he's literally the one who reanimated the corpse. How is it not his problem? <laughs> well, because he can leave. He can literally drive to another... Chase is going to follow him. Well, okay, I say that, but he did follow Alice in part mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. So, maybe. Also, I kind of feel like you're you're avoiding the responsibility issue. Like, this is Tommy's problem because he literally caused this. Okay, I'm sorry if I accidentally raise a serial killer. Like, it's not my problem if someone else gets killed because of it. Like, run away. Hmm. I'm sorry. It is my fault. It is my fault. It's not my problem. <laughs> you're a bad person. We're going to move on. <laughs> Okay, so let's meet some new characters. We cut to new camp counselors, Lisbeth, played by Nancy McLaughlin, and Darren, played by, what the fuck, Tony Goldwyn. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. I feel so bad doing this. Cause like, it's, it's like it's a big secret that Tony Goldwyn's in this movie, but mm-hmm. like, it's still surprising like that he's in this movie. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't a big figure. His breakout is Ghost, and that's not until 1990. So this is well before that. But, you know, he's Tony Goldwyn, so he looks exactly the same. And you're just like, oh, wow, good get. Oh, wait, he's dead. And Lizbeth is actually played by Tom McLaughlin's wife in the film. Um, oh, but, hence the last name. Yes, okay. Hence the last name. But we do get our um, our, our first big meta reference. Not, mm-hmm. I mean, meta reference. Not really a reference. But yeah, where she says, we better turn around because I've seen enough horror movies to know that any weirdo wearing a mask is never friendly. And yeah. what do they do? They don't leave. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. This is very much a gendered response. Lisbeth is making rational, informed decisions based on her knowledge of horror films. She wants to get the fuck out of there. She tries to go in reverse. The car gets trapped in the mud and so on. And then Darren is just a big fucking, like, he's a man's man. He's gonna scare this dude off. So he tries to play a game of chicken with Jason. And then when Jason doesn't move... Uh, he pulls out a gun. Obviously, that's not going to go well. I do like the image of Jason just hoisting this dude over his shoulder. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, nope, you're yeah. dead. Well, and that's too because it, it looks like it's been edited a little bit because like we we cut from like J- like the the shot of Jason shoving the spear and then immediately mm-hmm. we're just cut to like oh this guy's already in midair like getting thrown over. Yeah, but it, it, it adds to like how light it makes Tony Goldwyn look. Oh, sure, he looks like a rag doll as a result. <laughs> I mean, he probably probably was. He probably was a ragdoll. Yeah, he's a resuscitation (laughs) Annie doll going out of the shoulder. But but then this poor woman, man, she almost makes it. She almost makes it. She almost makes it. Yeah, so she ends up crawling out of the car, and she falls into the largest pool of water I have ever seen on the side of a road. This is the size of a small swimming pool. Well, and then it's like the the trees from the Evil Dead, I guess, are holding her down to where Mm -hmm. she can't move. Yeah, she she is just stuck in that small lake 
that she falls into and you think <laughs> she might get out of it except then she gets stabbed in the face but again this is off screen so mm. we've got more or less two off screen kills already so there is this is extended on the blu-ray special deleted scenes but not not as so here's the thing all these extra scenes with extra gore mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah it gives me a taste but it's honestly not it's still not that big. It's right? not that great. So what we get here is the the the, the impact uh, of the spear in her head is still off screen, but then the camera cuts, and in the theatrical cut, we just cut to oh, her American Express card like floats away, which I do love. Rather that place small. Yeah, but it's also never leave home without it. <laughs> Terrible. But uh, in the deleted scene after the extended scene, before we cut to the American Express, we do kind of a close up on where her head would be, like under the water, right. With the spear in it, and we can't see her head, but then we have all these air bubbles are coming up, and blood just kind of starts coming out. Okay. I mean, I would have kept that unless they were forced to. I mean, and that's the thing. I I, I don't know if this was a McLaughlin decision or if it was an MPAA decision, but Mm -hmm. I know this one had a lot less trouble than Seven did, so it might have been McLaughlin, to be honest. (laughs) Well, I mean... I don't think Seven could have had a harder time getting to theaters because of the cuts in there. But yeah, yeah, this is surprising. Like so much of this, I was just like, did we not even shoot the gore or what? Because almost all the deaths are like this. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Okay, so they did. And we cut back to the sheriff's station and we are introduced to his daughter, Megan. I actually couldn't figure out if it was his younger sister first. (laughs) And then she's like, Dad! I love this character so much. And Okay, explain this to me, because I think she's fine. She's so spunky, she's so feisty, and she talks back. She's just a great character. Okay, um, I like the scene where she's driving. <laughs> the scene where she's just, like, hanging out in her dad's car trying to balance her heels in the air. I was like, what are we doing? This is <gasps> what? valuable screen time. And then she falls over when the phone rings. It's so funny. Oh, my God. You are, like, a laugh slut. That is oh my the easiest joke. It's because it's, oh, my God. <laughs> A laugh slut. You're being such a Debbie Downer. Um, no, it's it's just, it's like a, it's like a, uh, what is it? What is it called? It's slapstick. It's slapstick comedy. It's like weak slapstick. This is weak sauce, man. But, okay, but still, like, how many horror movies put you, give you their final girl and have her fucking flipping over in a chair out of being clumsy? Uh... I mean, I'll take Cabin in the Woods any day, for sure. I mean, look, I'm not trying to come in here and say this is high art by any means, but I don't know. There's just a vibe I get from this movie. And and maybe it is because, too, like, this was a very positive filming experience for everyone. So I feel Mm. that on screen when I'm watching it. So even though, yes, I mean, like, in reality, like, this is like a probably a three star movie for me. Mm -hmm. It's a four star movie for the Friday the 13th franchise, because I just just, just think it's a very likable movie. Okay. Okay, yeah. Now I can get behind that. Yeah. So, yeah, so we've got Megan, and then we've got her friend, Sissy, who is played by Renee Jones. We've got Paula, who is played by Carrie Noonan. And then we've got the boy, Court, who is played by Tom Fridley, or Fridley. And (laughs) I love the fact that he's basically wearing a crop top and the most ripped up jeans to the (laughs) point that they actually get commented on. And I was like, ah, 80s. Oh, man, and we don't get much from Sissy and Paul yet, but man, like, where's their movie? 
Oh my God. They were the highlights of the film for me. I loved them both so much. I wanted so much more from them. And I think, honestly, that was my frustration with the first half of the film. I was like, don't introduce those characters and then send me out to the woods with randos. Well, okay, I know this will never happen, but I would actually kind of love a like a bottle like a single setting location Friday mm-hmm. 13th film with like these two characters but like while well, everyone is getting massacred outside but we never get to leave the cabin we're only inside the cabin <laughs> they're just playing Jason Voorhees card games yes oh okay <laughs> so we'll get there I, we'll get there okay yeah I'll, I'll wait till we get there <laughs> so these counselors have come to the police station because they are looking for Elizabeth and Darren the couple that we just saw killed because those are the head counselors and they're like uh, we don't know how to open camp and these kids are about to arrive. And all of that is immediately forgotten because Megan and Tommy are just making fuck eyes at one another. Constantly. They are so horny. They're so horny for each other, which makes sense because, you know, they're they're blonde, heterosexual teenagers, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that Patrick Hamilton of Kill by Kill gets really irate when people say that it's all teenagers who get killed in Friday the 13th because these are clearly like mid-20-somethings. Well, I think they're supposed to be that in the movie, too. No, right? yeah, are... that, that's what I mean. It's not just okay. the actors. It's like, these are clearly not 17-year-olds running a summer camp. Like, they Got are it. actually in their early 20s. Well, okay, yes, but they're also really incompetent at their jobs. <laughs> oh, they're shit at their jobs, yeah. But, like, the kids show up, and they're like, ugh. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it'd be if you and I ran a summer camp. It'd be like, yeah. okay, well, we're here to make money. Oh, the kids are here? Fuck. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. You couldn't pay me to do that shit. (laughs) I say this as though I haven't done it. I have done it. So gross, gross, gross. It's fine. You just ply them with activities and then they get real tired. I'm just about the camping aspect, too. Ugh. Oh, see, I like camping. Hmm. No, no. Anyway, so Garrus is like, yeah, we don't care about these missing people. Get out because he he's more concerned as a father than he is a sheriff. So he wants to get his daughter away from Tommy, who he says is going to have to leave town immediately. Yep. So we cut back to the cemetery and we're introduced to Bunko Mel Gibson caretaker Martin, who is played by Bob Larkin. Mel Gibson? Like, Does he look like Mel Gibson to you? Yeah. If Mel Gibson got left out in the sun, this is what he would look like. Shit, I gotta go back and watch this. I'm gonna just watch it again. I'm gonna gonna go watch this movie again. Bye. (laughs) Okay, I'll pause. I'll wait for you. (laughs) So, uh, you know, he's the requisite drunk character who's sort of causing a fuss. In this case, he has filled the grave back in because he doesn't want to get in trouble. And of course, that will come back to hurt Tommy later on. But... um, this is where we get another sort of meta joke where he looks at Jason's grave and he mutters about people's strange sense of entertainment. And then he looks at the camera. Oh, no, he looks at the camera during this entire line. It's not like he says it and then looks at the camera. He is just saying it to the audience. Yeah, which is also <laughs> a very like I'm making a horror film and I'm judging my audience. No, I. it's not. Okay. Oh, my God. You are being way too cynical. It is not. It is not judging the audience. It's poking. I mean, it's poking fun at them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait. I, I guess. I guess. Okay. Genuine question. Do you <laughs> think that anyone was offended by that line when they no. saw it in this movie? No, I'm sure people thought it was very amusing. Like, I, th- there is a way that, yes, you could be like making fun and poking fun are two different things in my opinion. Uh, yeah, no, there's definitely a distinction. I mean, 
I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm coming down too hard on this film. No. I I think you're being a little too generous and you think I'm being a little too cynical and we will meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> we will meet in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we cut to the renamed Camp Blood, which is now going under the name of Camp Forest Green. Because, of course, they. I love that they've renamed the entire fucking town. Like, oh. It's like I mean, a weird form of gentrification. It's how you explain the whole setting looking completely different. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, you mean this isn't New Jersey? <laughs> yeah, so we've got our very unprepared counselors. They're unpacking supplies, but this is where we get a little bit of, hey, if you're coming new to the franchise in part six, who's Jason again? Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Urban legend, blah, 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 drowned at this camp. Okay, kids are here. Let's move on. And the, the woman on this bus could not be happier to get those oh kids my God. off the bus. I, for a hot minute, thought that she was just going to flip them off and drive away. <laughs> She's so good. Yeah. Uh, more of her story, too. Mm-hmm. So we then get some, like, very jokey military music playing, and we get <laughs> these corporate paintballers, and it... Uh, it I, I feel yeah. like it just goes on a little too long for what the payoff is, but... Basically, they all get dispatched in a number of different ways. Yeah, well, okay. I Yes, I, I agree. Th this scene does not need to be in this movie. You can cut this scene out of the movie, and it makes mm -hmm. absolutely no difference outside of, like, not getting four bodies. Right. Is this also where he gets his machete, or has he just magically picked it up already? No, 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 yeah. So there's this misogynistic guy who's, like, hacking into trees, yelling about how women are on this trip, and women should belong in the home, and right. blah, blah, blah. okay. And when he's whacking back, Jason grabs it and he flings him into a tree with a branch that impales his face. Mm -hmm. But when he falls off the tree, there's like a, a happy face. Yeah, I, I don't know how it's there, um, but it's bloody. Yeah. But the decapitation. So what was so it's not even just that we have this scene. We also like have a bit of drama with them as mm -hmm. we're learning about their corporate like, I don't know, uh, Oh, yeah, like some of them got beef with some of the other ones. Yeah. And there's like, oh, we don't like that this woman is in power. And mm -hmm. like, I legitimately questioned, oh, are these going to be actual characters? And then they are all just killed in one literal swift blow. Well, and it would like, I would be more forgiving. Well, I, mean, I don't care. I like the scene. But, like, right. but, like, for, but I, I, I know where you're coming from. And I would be more forgiving if they did something like part four, where it's like, hey, we have the kids in this house right here. But then we have the 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 mom and her t her teenage daughter and like young boy in the house next door. And then the paths like cross over. Mm -hmm. Cool. Like ha have this like crew of this corporate team or at least one survivor from this corporate team yeah. make his way over to the kids. But no, the, we, we do drop this as soon as these people get decapitated. Mm -hmm. And the extras footage on this, um, so you do get to see all three heads fall to the ground. Okay. You don't get that here, but apparently the original way it was set up, the way they did film it was, they had the dummy bodies and the machete was going to go through, and in each head there was a trigger. And when the, when the machete hit the trigger, the head would fly off and the blood would spray. Makes sense. They did film it. They cut it, and they actually cut it before they took it to the MPAA, because the guy that did the effect mm -hmm. said that before the scene was about to happen, when they were showing it, someone tapped him and goes, oh, hey, by the way, we cut out the scene where you could see the rig. Oh, <laughs> uh, oops. Uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, it's a bummer. I don't know that it would have improved the scene, but yeah, I think, if nothing else, this is the start of Jason just 
mowing down people like he's killing three people here he's gonna kill two people in one blow in a couple of minutes it's very much like oh jason doesn't just take out one now he takes out a whole fucking crew of people well it's because he's on his way to camp chris i'm sorry whatever the fuck the lake is called now (laughs) forest green yes this is actually a slice of life movie about jason and we were Uh just watching him as on his journey (laughs) right literal slicing got it yeah slicing of life slicing of life other people's yes <laughs> okay so we're, we're kind of cutting back and forth like it's every other scene we're getting updates on tommy or the camp so we're back to tommy he has a police escort out of town but he ends up i don't know what his plan is here he tries to drive back to the cemetery we get a foot chase among the gravestones this is where sheriff uh, garris has hit the noise in the cherries which i thought was a very weird <laughs> way but i laughed of saying turn on the lights so back to some humor though this is where the, there's two smash cuts in this moment mm-hmm. where i'm like oh this is funny so first after the decapitations we then smash cut to a sign that says eternal peace cemetery which is where tommy's about to go which right i think is great mm-hmm. then after this horribly long foot chase on the on the cemetery yes um what do you think i am fart head and all the kids saying yeah yes! <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing. I, I, you clearly do not find that very funny. <laughs> I mean, I, I was amused. It was more like fart head. Really, we're saying fart head. Well, okay. So I, I think on its own, I don't think this is really that funny. It's actually very juvenile. Mm-hmm. But what makes it funny for me is just the fact, the mere fact that it, this is the sixth entry in a Friday the Thirteenth film, right? When none of the other films have ever, ever They've done never tried anything this. like. Never tried this before. It is so out of place that I just, even though, yes, it's a stupid joke, but like, it's just so. It's unexpected. It's not what it needs. It's not what it should be. I mean, how should's the wrong word, but it's not what it's supposed to be. It's not what it's previously been. Right. And so I just, I don't know. It makes me laugh harder because I'm just like, this is a fucking Friday the 13th movie. There you go. Yeah. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, so we get to see scenes of how Megan and Court entertain the kids at camp. They're okay. They're they're making it work for them, even though yeah. they're not great. And we see Tommy has been left at the town line. He seems a little uncertain how to proceed. And then night falls. So we have this new couple, Stephen, played by Roger <laughs> Rose, and Annette, played by Cynthia Cania. And they overhear Martin being killed as he's wandering through the woods drunk. He gets killed with his own bottle. And then they are double impaled on their scooter as they try to make a run for it. Ooh, but okay, and McLaughlin actually thinks the shot whenever, oh my god, Steven finds the caretaker's body, like, being killed by Jason. And then Jason, mm-hmm. like, stops mid-hack and just turns and sees him. Yeah. Thinks that's the scariest part of the film. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, this is another scene. I mean, like you said, in the production history, this was added. And you can kind of tell because it really doesn't have a lot of bearing on the rest of the film. Right. I don't mind it, but this feels very sped up. Like, even for a Friday the 13th film, it happens so fast. I was just like, oh, wait, we're dead. Okay, okay, we're done. 
the second Steven and Annette get on their motorcycle, and it's like, okay, cool, Jason's like a good 30 feet behind them, and all of a sudden he is right in front of mm-hmm. them, impaling them with his machete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a joke, I think Nancy makes it later, about, like, she had a nightmare about a monster who was everywhere, and I was like, yeah, that's right, that's who Jason is, he can just bamf anywhere he needs to be. I'm sure I've told you this before, but you know in the game that the Jason has powers where you actually can't teleport? <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, every time you talk about the game, I'm always intrigued enough to consider like, oh, that sounds like it would be really fun. But then I just get disappointed that they basically stopped doing updates on it because of that fucking lawsuit. Yeah, but you know what? The creators are doing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game next. So right. we at least have that. And it does look really good. It does look really fun. I know. But also moving from one rights plagued franchise to another. Right. Oof. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're back at camp and we see that the kids are asleep. You're going to laugh at me because I did find this joke funny that we see they've all fallen asleep with books over their chests and yes. one of the girls is reading Jean-Paul Sartre. <laughs> no exit, <laughs> which is about hell. <laughs> I was just like, well, good on the reading comprehension for that little girl. It's so funny because the camera holds on it to be like, make sure you know that this is what this girl's reading. <laughs> yeah, like she's reading some deep life philosophy. It's too funny. <laughs> So we check in on Sissy and Paula. This is really like, hey, did you think that these characters are fun? If your answer was no, we're going to convince you now. Because uh, Sissy, on the spot, just invents this card game where Jason is in a cabin and you have to figure out which deck he's in. I wanted to learn more about these rules because I would love to play that game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It sounds Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Well, you know what I fucking did? I googled Camp Blood jason lives card game and i fucking found one so did you oh i did so okay <laughs> let me just it's it's nine little little lines so let me just uh, go ahead mm-hmm. so you get two to eleven players or two to six for a shorter game each player chooses a face card right face cards represent camp counselors but no one can be the jack of spades that is jason you shuffle each card into a deck and separate the deck into four even piles and each of those piles is a cabin Face cards found in the cabins with Jason are dead. Once all the piles have been looked in, shuffle the deck and start again. And then you say you'll, you know, shuffle them into four more cabins again. So I guess four smaller cabins. Mm -hmm. The game keeps going until there is only one person left or if everyone is dead. Because I guess I guess it makes sense, right? Right. Because you could theoretically have all your counselors in one cabin. Mm -hmm. The dealer plays Jason for the bonus round. And then it says, if there's a survivor, we skip those last two rules. Uh, and we take a bonus round. Yes, when there's only one player in the game, the bonus round entails. The dealer becomes Jason and shuffles all the cards except the Joker and the face cards. Once the cards are shuffled, Jason and the remaining player must each draw one card. If the remaining player draws a card higher than Jason, they live and the game is over. Okay. If Jason's card is higher, the remaining player dies and the game is over. And finally... If both Jason and the remaining player draw the same cards, oh. those cards are set aside and they draw again. again. Now, these are, of course, someone... I think the bonus round is made up by this person, yeah. so you can tweak it as much as you want. But <laughs> I thought this sounded like a very fun and easy drinking game. So um, we'll put this in the show notes, everybody. Okay. So, yeah, if folks have ever played this or if they end up playing, let us know how it goes. Tell us if it's fun. I'm going to play it this weekend. I don't know about you. (laughs) We'll play it the next time we get together. There we go. (laughs) Once every two to four years. Yeah. We're going on three right now, so. Yeah. Fucking pandemic, man. Yeah. All right. Okay. 
so this is also the introduction of Nancy, who we have mentioned a couple of times. She is played by Courtney Vickery, and she is a girl with a bad dream. Yeah, she uh, yeah, she just cries a lot. Uh, yeah, she she provides a lot of the jump scares in the last act of this movie to the point where I was like, someone kill that child. She's just <laughs> scaring everyone. They can't because she's praying too much. Oh, God. Uh, okay. So Court is not involved in these antics because he has ditched camp so that he can have extremely unrealistic sex with Nikki, who, as you mentioned, is played by Darcy DeMoss, and they are in her rockin' RV. The 10 minutes. I mean, he is about to come the second we get to this scene, and uh-huh. she's like, 10 more minutes. Like, I, don't, I, I cannot it. imagine a world where I'm about to come and can hold on for 10 more minutes. Absolutely not. Like, <laughs> I'm doing the Margaret Thatcher naked on a cold day trick, and I've given you maybe 10 extra seconds. So I do, okay, I love, I do love this scene in the Winnebago. Mm-hmm. I don't love the, let's walk out and listen for things. Uh, yeah. It takes a bit too long it's to a get little too long. back into the Winnebago. Although admittedly, it's a long enough period to be believable that Jason could have snuck in relatively easily. But yeah, well, I say that, but I appreciate that Court is kind of scared. And it's not until Nikki comes out that they're both willing to investigate because normally... We get a lot of asshole men in these films. Yeah. And so I appreciate like that the court is a little bit more in touch with his feelings. Yeah. Court's just a bit of a dumb person, but like, yeah. he's kind of a lovable doofus. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, this sex had me laughing. Not <laughs> not just because it's like, oh, hold out for 10 more minutes, but like the gyrations that yeah. these two are making and like. They're not even looking at each other. They don't appear to actually be enjoying the sex. They're just on top of each other with their naked parts touching. <laughs> well, she's also bouncing so hard that I'm oh, like, she's you, breaking his penis. You broke his penis. Um, you're shaking the entire Winnebago, as we can see from an exterior shot. Mm-hmm. And also, it seems more like a dance routine than it does a sex yes. scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if this is meant to be funny or if I just find it amusing enough to be funny. But if you had have introduced nudity, then you would have just been like, oh, this is a shit sex scene. Like, who did this? And instead it plays like, oh, this is kind of silly and fun. Well, that's uh, honestly outside of a contract issue. I'm sure if I was Miss DeMoss, I'd be like, okay, I am bouncing up and fucking down. My tits are going to hurt so bad. How many takes are we doing of this shit? Okay, no. My tits are going to be raw by yeah. the time we're done with this. Do I have black eye insurance for when my tits hit me in the face? Yeah. Right? But to answer your question, I do think this is meant to be funny. Because again, okay. the film is going out of its way to not have nudity and sex. Right. And we have the one sex scene, which is very outlandish. Not only for this film, but in comparison to every sex scene in this franchise that's come before it. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. And so they end up coming back into the RV. They do decide to get the fuck out of there. So I appreciated that. And Court cannot drive. And we get a lot of physical comedy with Nikki falling back and forth. (laughs) She is flying around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) God damn it, Court. Boom. Um, I do. Okay, so here's the thing. I think this is my favorite death in the movie. Yeah. It's not gory, no. but you fix that by giving it a memorable, like, send-off. And it mm-hmm. is her face being shoved into a mirror, which I guess goes through a metal wall? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you hear, you hear, it's like a can crumpling whenever her face goes in, but yeah, I think that's actually a really scary image, too. 
Oh, definitely. And I like the way that this is shot from overhead as she is kind mm-hmm. of like being bounced around by Jason in this very tight bathroom. Uh, no, I thought all of this was really good. This whole scene, a good mix of comedy and scariness and well shot. Well, and even when you have Jason walking up to court as he's driving and doesn't realize, like, also when Jason grabs her, it's really like, surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a legitimate good action sequence in this horror film. Which then ends with an an actual action sequence. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't expecting the slow-mo car crash and then Jason doing a kind of power move. Like, I'm going to stand on top of this as it's engulfed in flames. That shot is, I'm going to use the word iconic, which I know us gays like to use too much. But in terms of like this franchise, Mm -hmm. that is an iconic shot. Is it well known? Like if you Mm -hmm. just did a screen grab of that, would people say, oh yeah, that's definitely Jason Lives? Absolutely. Jason standing on top of a burning Winnebago. Jason lives. Cool. 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 Okay. So we then cut back to the police station. And this is when Sheriff Garris gets uh, word that there's been bodies that have been discovered in the woods. So he leaves Megan and she is there to connect with Tommy. Okay. But she does answer the phone call and tell someone calling the police station Mm -hmm. (laughs) that the sheriff can't come because he's in the bathroom draining his lizard. (laughs) Yeah, she's very much the (laughs) prankster daughter, where she does not give a shit about keeping up the decorum of the office. Oh, she's so funny. (laughs) I love the fact that he's right there, too. So she's like, hey, dad, I'm just going to make fun of you to this potential emergency. Just for the yucks. I'm an easy lay in case you couldn't tell. Just tell me a really stupid joke and I'm I'm yours. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So uh, Jason, meanwhile, has arrived at Forest Green. He cuts the telephone line and then he he more or less plays peekaboo with Sissy at the window to the point where she starts to lean out too far and he grabs her and then he just breaks the neck all the way around. I do love the image of him getting her, like pulling her out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And um, so her death, McLaughlin was made to extend Sissy's death, adding the shots of Jason dragging her to the ground, twisting her head off. As originally filmed, Sissy was simply pulled out of the cabin window and wasn't seen again until Megan finds her head in the squad car. So this actually was a longer scene, but there is a longer cut in the deleted scenes without gore, though. Basically, when she gets pulled outside, uh, Paula sits up and she's like, you know, oh, like, don't scare the kids. And you Mm -hmm. hear her screaming. But Paula thinks it's a scream of an orgasm. Oh, (laughs) yes, I'm regularly pulled out of windows so that I can orgasm. (laughs) It was a really strong orgasm. What's weird, too, because Paula attributes this to games that Sissy and Court are playing. And I'm like, wait, so is Court meant to be with Sissy in that scenario? I don't know. (laughs) Because I'm like, there's only one dude at this camp. And presumably they're heterosexual because this is... Friday the 13th, and we don't really do queer characters all that often. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I never really thought about that much, <laughs> which I guess I should be doing. <laughs> I, I guess it could have been like, oh, there's a secret boyfriend or some dude that like snuck on that Sissy's having an affair with. I mean, we didn't know Nikki before she showed up in the RV and died. Yeah, and to confirm, this would be a stupid question. She's not the girl that pushed them out of the bus, right? No, no. Okay, cool. Just to make sure. <laughs> uh okay so sissy is sadly dead paula is none the wiser she kind of goes back to bed (laughs) and then we're on the road so because megan has gone to meet tommy uh they decide that they're well she basically forces herself into the proceeding she's like 
I've come to pick you up. I'm driving. Nobody else drives my car. Get in. <laughs> I will take you to get the supplies you need so we can deal with Jason. Go on with your bad self, Megan. I love you. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because you definitely get the feeling that Megan doesn't really think that there's something dangerous going on. She no. just wants to have an adventure with this hot boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but there's a roadblock, Joe. There is a roadblock, so we have to do a little bit of road head instead. Ah! So I love this. This yeah, this good. was maybe my favorite scene in this entire film. <laughs> Megan forces Tommy's face into her crotch. We get not one but two POV shots of her fucking crotch <laughs> as she is driving around, keeping him out of sight. She's driving backwards down these backcountry roads. <laughs> it is just a lot of fun. I was like, wait, why am I getting a car chase in my Friday the 13th? I'm enjoying this. So I, I, I know we'll get to it because I do agree with you that she does get way too whiny once she realizes that things are actually like going wrong. Yeah, but here she's super fucking fun. She's, I, I get everything before that. And again, even then, like, well, we'll talk about when we get there. But yes, yes, uh, <laughs> she, she's great here. Yeah, and of course this all ends when she ends up driving right into the roadblock that her father has set up. And it's like, Hi, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so back at camp, Nancy wakes Paula up, and she is holding a fucking bloody machete. I would be like, Nancy, I'm going to murder you. What are you doing walking around like that in the middle of the night? <laughs> so Paula initially goes to make a call, but then Nancy is too demanding, so she doesn't find out that the phone line has been cut, so they leave the cabin, but they also leave behind the machete as Jason is watching them yes so we're we're still doing our back and forth so uh before we can get to the resolution of the paula nancy stuff we go <laughs> the back saga. to sh- the saga as it were <laughs> we go back with sheriff garris and he this is annoying right because we we do this a lot in horror films where characters aren't believed it's often police or figures of authority and you're just like oh god but we all know so mm-hmm so basically, he refuses to believe Tommy still. Uh, then he gets another phone call about more dead bodies. And Megan says, well, I was fucking with Tommy at that yeah. time. So obviously, he was not responsible for Court and Nikki's death. And it's not really clear if Sheriff Garris still believes or not. Yeah, but I, he, he, he still puts him in a cell. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's kind of like, well, I'll deal with you later. So let's move on. Yeah. Okay, so then we're back at camp, and Paula gets spooked after putting Nancy to bed, and then she discovers that the phone is out of commission. And then she's basically just killed off screen. No, okay, yes, so this is actually my favorite scene in the movie. Okay. Because, so she puts Nancy down, and she sits up, and Jason is right there at the window. And then we get this really great, I guess, maybe a tracking shot or something. But we stay with Paula as she walks down the length of the interior of this cabin. Yes. While Jason is in the background, as we see him through the windows, following her up Mm -hmm. and up and up and closer to the door to where I'm like, oh, this is. It's tense. It's very tense. But then she walks outside. And I understand the irony because I just sat in the Winnebago scene. I really hate it. They take too much time walking around, Mm -hmm. hearing noises, blah, blah, blah. This feels more playful to me. We, I think this is a longer scene where we have Paula outside right. hearing noises, mm-hmm. like getting scared, whatever. I just think that McLaughlin shoots this so well. It is tense, but right. it also I feel the movie. Like It's like that scene in Scream 2022 with uh, Dylan Minnette walking around the kitchen and we keep getting all those fake outs. Right. You're just waiting for it to happen. Yes. And the movie does a really good job of holding this off. 
until she, way until way after she's back in her own fucking cabin. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's strange hearing you describe it. It actually reminds me more of the kinds of feelings I get when I watch Halloween. I could see that. Absolutely. It is really good. And it's again disappointing because Paula is an interesting character. She's mm-hmm. an empathetic child uh, caretaker, but also she's fun and willing to, you know, be a little bit flirty and have fun with the uh, sissy and so on. And then it's not like I want to see characters I enjoy get killed, but no, I was I know what you frustrated mean. with this death in particular because it's just like, bam, and then it's over. And then we just see her body go through the window and then get mm-hmm. dragged back in. Oh, yeah. There is blood that sprays across the window. That is way more blood than whatever one slash of a machete would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I will say that I, I agree. Like, we needed something better here. But what I do love is that when he, right before he kills her, when we finally get the Jason reveal, because she mm-hmm. goes in her cabin, she sits on her bed, the wind blows the door open yeah. <laughs> for some reason. I was like, what is that door made of? But I actually think that they do the timing very well to where you, you're tense, you're tense, you're tense, mm-hmm. and then you let your guard down. Because she's, she's closing the door, and it's like an offbeat moment when Jason just opens the door and grabs her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like it, you would have expected it to either happen earlier or we were going to have to start rebuilding tension. And instead, he's just there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, I, this to me is the most successful part of the movie in, in terms of like playfulness, suspense, tension, things like that. Yeah. But but not kills. Right. And then we actually get a very mean-spirited match on because that's what this film likes to do with its humor. So we just cut to Deputy Rick squashing a bug. <laughs> You're like, Wow. <laughs> That was Paula. Fuck you. There was one other. I know a match cut. Is is it, is it strictly visual? Uh, yes. And usually it would be like, I start to turn a door and then we cut to the other side and you see me walk through the door. Right. So uh, this is more like a, almost like an accent. I think about like in Hostel, you know, whenever the girl's toe is about to get cut off, but then we match cut to uh, someone clipping their toenails. Correct. Yes. But um, no, there was one, an- another one earlier, whenever the uh, court's teaching the kids about um, quote unquote Indians. Uh, mm, oh, and one of the kids just goes, if this is exciting as it gets, we're in big trouble, dude. And then we just smash cut to Jason walking around with a machete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the movie telling on itself, but also wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> uh, okay. So because Tommy is back in a cell, we need Megan to find some kind of opportunity to get him out. So they fake a kiss argument that turns into a real kiss. And it Love goes it. on for a really long time because Deputy Rick is not actually paying attention, which is what they need. They need him to come closer so that they can pull a gun and get him out. All this stuff with the red dot. and Oh, I think this is fun. Oh. <laughs> it's Megan getting to be a badass. I mean, Megan is definitely a badass. Although I was thinking like, ooh, what do you think happens to people who like steal the guns off of police officers? Probably nothing good. Um, not only steals the guns off police officers, but uses the guns against the police officers. Yeah, so they lock Deputy Rick into the cell, and that means that Tommy is now free. This time he is driving, she is navigating. This is where we start to lose Megan's agency so that Tommy can become the hero of the film. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is also where we get Jason, for some reason, sparing the life of Nancy because she prays. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, my, my note just says Jason almost kills Nancy, but she prays. So he so he stops. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've seen criticisms from people about this, like, Jason has never hesitated to kill anyone, even if they are a child, and it just feels very weird. 
Well, and here's and here's where I'll critique this. So uh, McLaughlin said he wanted to get rid of the sex stuff because he wanted to get rid of the morality tale, you know, that that the franchise was doing. Where it's like, oh, if you have sex, you will get killed. That is your sure. punishment. But if you pray, you get spared. Exactly. So he does the flip side of it where we're still doing the morality tale, but we're just it, it, it getting rid of the sex and incorporating actual religion in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it feels a little bit weird because nothing else in this film is religious. So this is really the one kind of big instance of it. And it stands out. Yeah, and it would be something to... Okay, because this is the first of two times that Jason will not kill someone and it makes no fucking sense. Because we'll get there in the climax. Yes. But it would even make sense if, like... I don't know. Like, there's a part in the first Scream movie where, where Ghostface is doing something and we hear Nev Campbell scream, help me. And then mm-hmm. we cut to Dev Campbell running, but that is what gets Ghostface to go out and go after her because he's distracted right. by her. Yeah. It would I wouldn't have fully bought it because I'm like, well, Jason would still kill this little girl. But at least if there was something, a noise or something that would distract him. Oh, mm-hmm. actually, that would be a really fun subversion, right? Like he hears a strange noise and he goes to investigate. Right. We just follow Jason as he's wandering around, like, wait, where where did that noise come from? What's going on out here? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but no. Anyway, so Nancy prays to live another day, and we go back to Sheriff Garris. This is when he has arrived at the camp, and he discovers that uh, poor Sissy and Paula's room is covered. Like, scream for <laughs> levels of blood. Just, like, blood and body parts everywhere. It's like Paula was a giant tick full of blood, and she just popped in this room. This is the elevator from The Shining opened up in this cabin, and <laughs> I... But it sucks, right? Because, yeah, this is a likable character who gets one of the least violent deaths, but then when you mm-hmm. think about the aftermath, like, oh my god, she got it bad. Yeah, like, apparently Jason just hung around and hacked her to pieces for like 25 minutes or so. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's it's bizarre, because it really just does not match what we saw of her death, so... No. Uh, anyway... So Sheriff Garris is now firmly on the holy shit train because he realizes, oh, wow, these bodies are piling up. And this is when we get the other deputies more or less getting picked off one by one. So somebody gets a knife to the face on the dock. We've got um, Captain Handsome, the really hot deputy who keeps checking himself out in all the mirrors. He ends up getting killed. Well, and he's the one that gets his head squashed, right? Yes. So in deleted scene or extended scene, uh, so because I I know you know that his head gets squashed. There is a longer cut, and this is probably the best of the extra scenes where you do see like the top of his head kind of burst and like Ooh. brain matter splashes out. Oh wow! Okay, and it surprised me that that wasn't in this movie because I think it's in part four, four where no, it's three when someone gets their head squashed and their eyeball flies out of the screen because it's in three D. Right, of course. How could we forget? <laughs> i do like too that this is also the period where nancy she cannot stay in bed so she just runs around jump scaring everybody and then she'll run off again and then they'll be murdered by jason so basically nancy is the distraction so that jason can sneak in and kill people and you're like someone lock that child up yeah i do i mean again i know we're passive but i i do really like that scene of jason with all the kids like it's just it's ruined by that ending of him not killing nancy (laughs) Mm-hmm. But. yeah it's um i mean i i like the stuff where all the kids are hiding under the bed as well it it feels in hindsight like fear street in 1978 was playing a riff on some Ooh, of this yeah i mean it's just, you don't see jason with children ever right no. and granted i don't think this movie's ever gonna kill a kid but that would have been a good opportunity too 
Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole a whole cabin of them. Come on. He's literally got a buffet right there. <laughs> you you just do like a backwards tracking shot out as you hear like children screaming in the door slam shut. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so Sheriff Garris does indeed make all these kids hide under their beds because he's he's grabbed Nancy and he's like, go back to the cottage, everybody hide. And then we get some comedy as he just keeps trying to shoot Jason and get him to stay down. And he's shooting Jason point blank with a shotgun. And Jason just kind of like falls down, rolls, gets back up, falls down, rolls, gets back up. (laughs) (laughs) The old Jason shtick. Yep, yep. He is, uh, I mean, he's unkillable. And it takes Garrus a very long time to figure that out. Too long, because he doesn't make it out alive. Well, here's the thing. He could have, because he does go and hide at this point. But then this is when Megan and Tommy have arrived. And Megan is just literally running around screaming (laughs) for daddy. (laughs) For the rest of this movie, this is what Megan will do. No, not the rest of it. (laughs) nearly to the end for like the next five to ten minutes yeah the next five minutes (laughs) honestly i was annoyed i was like wait so this very smart very fun character has now been reduced to a full-on parody of a final girl so i i agree and so in real time i was watching this because here's the thing i actually do forget a lot of these movies ever after i watch them like it really is hard for me to remember a lot of this except for like specific thing yeah little moments little scenes character yeah beats. nikki's face in the in the wall sure. uh, uh, i i even forgot her fucking dad gets bent over backwards there we go but i was with you watching this last night i was like oh god like i forgot that they do this to this character who is so awesome up mm-hmm. until this fucking scene yeah but then the ending makes up for it for me i i, I still i get it like why but i i, I the ending with her really getting to kill jason kill Mm -hmm. quote unquote uh makes up for it yeah it's a nice return to form for her it's just it's this middle part where you're just like yeah okay well because we have to have tommy go out and fail at everything but i do love (laughs) this is the thing she's running around screaming we get all this shit while tommy's doing whatever the fuck he's doing He's preparing his heavy uh, heavy coil and large rock trap. (laughs) Yes, on this, like, little robo that I'm like, um, that's gonna sink you right Uh away. Which it does, admittedly. Which it does. Yeah. Um, Jason comes out of a cabin and grabs Megan's head. Yeah. She should be 100% dead, but... Yeah. Tommy just yells at Jason. (laughs) Yeah. Jason, I'm the one that you want, to which I'm like... I don't think Jason was ever smart enough to really realize he was going after specific people. He just kind of goes after anything that moves. But specifically Tommy in a body of water calling out to Jason, hey, I'm the one that you want. Why Mm. didn't he just crush her head and keep walking? Okay, so that was literally the question I wrote in my notes. I was like, he could have, like, just even a neck twist and be done with it and then move on. It makes no sense. No, it is the original Halloween 2018. Why why, why is he going after Lori? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) No, I I was, he just just throws her on the ground and and then she's fine. She's not She's totally fine. She's not even hurt. She just stands (laughs) up and, like, continues screaming for a little while. Yep. Uh, but it's okay, because now we have Tommy doing his thing. I do love his delivery of a, come on, you pussy! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked very much about uh, Tom Matthews. 
I think he's fine. Yeah. I don't think that there's enough to Tommy as a character for him to really have much to play with. Mm-hmm. But he is selling this finale. Like, he he is doing what needs to be done to get Jason into the water. Yeah, that rock looks really heavy. Uh, it looks mm-hmm. like he's really rowing the boat. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like there's water on him sometimes. For sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm curious. Do you feel like it's fair for people who have an issue that Jason, the kid who was drowned in the lake and has a fear of water, just, like, walks <laughs> into the water and is completely submerged how i can tell you've not watched some of these other movies uh yeah there's literally a scene in part two maybe three where there's a girl just sitting on a raft in the middle of the lake and he is 20 feet underwater just swims up and stabs her through the through the raft with a knife mm-hmm. so it's not that i i agree i get what you're saying but because it's happened so many times before this already i couldn't even be bothered well i think it was more that i've seen people complain endlessly Mm -hmm. like shouldn't he be afraid of the water that's where he drowned and it seems like the films just hand wave it away repeatedly well and so the issue the issue that i I think you're i think you might be getting it conflated because the issue is in freddy versus jason freddy uses water that literally stops jason in his tracks right and it's like oh like yeah this is this is what's gonna stop him he doesn't like water because he drowned and all the fans are like, um, hello, he has been in the water a million times. He right. has killed people in the water a million times. <laughs> so what you're saying is the argument doesn't make any more sense when I watch the movies backwards. No, not at all. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but no, it's it's a valid line of reasoning. Um, these movies don't make any sense. They have no continuity. <laughs> I mean, fair. If we're talking about Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street, none of them do. Like, no. This yeah. is what happens when we're using a factory model to turn these movies out every one to two years. I mean, y'all, the best horror franchise in terms of continuity, aside from Scream, because I think Scream is really good at continuity. Yeah. Um, it is the Saw franchise. Oh, to a fault, some would say. To a fault. I, I think the one that make the, I mean, the one that is the worst one that makes the least amount of sense in comparison to the rest of them is the seventh Jigsaw. one, which... Um. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, actually, okay, I'm not saying that Saw the Final Chapter is the Jason Lives of that franchise, because mm-hmm. this movie is good, that movie is not. But that is the kind of closest thing I can think of to where it's like, yeah, what is the biggest tonal departure we could do? Oh, yeah, Saw the Final Chapter, which is the funniest movie in that franchise, unintentionally so. Uh, The unintentional comedy, though. It is bad. Oh, boy. Okay, so back to this finale. Uh, Jason is under the water. Tommy has managed to lure him out. He's got his noose ready. But unfortunately, he doesn't know exactly where Jason is going to appear. (laughs) You didn't think that through? I don't fully understand his rationale for lighting the water on fire. I don't know if he thinks that that's going to bring Jason up or that it will just cause him to catch on fire when he does. I assume it's the latter. I wonder... Um, I'm just I'm spitballing here. Does it make the water more translucent? Um, I mean, yes, but only if you can see through the flames. Yeah, but if there's a ring of fire around you, would it make the inside of the of the fire ring like that water more easy to? Uh, what it's dark too though. What the fuck is it? <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> it just sounds like you're doing a euphemism for a butthole at this point. Oh my god, <laughs> the ring of fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- this plan doesn't make. I, I don't. I don't get. I don't know how he thought he was going to get out of this alive, which he almost doesn't. Thank God, Megan's there. Well, here's the thing. I'm not entirely convinced that he did think he was going to get out of this alive because, mm-hmm. I mean, he is fighting when he, the boat finally breaks and he manages to get Jason trapped at the same time. So all 
I was going to say three of them. It's like him and Jason and The Rock. <laughs> they all fall to the bottom. We <laughs> get this battle sequence, and I feel like Tommy heard of him, must have known that he might not get out of this alive because he's fighting fucking Jason Voorhees. That's fair. That's fair. Because technically, he does die for a hot second. He definitely gets strangled. He floats to the top of the lake. And so now it is Megan's time to shine. She is a good person to save you, but she is a terrible diver because she fully face plants when she goes into the water. <laughs> but she, hey, she gets this shit done. I mean, after hitting rock bottom, in my opinion, with her, with her fucking flailing around, Danny, 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 mm -hmm. this brought me right back. And then I remembered, I was like, right, Tommy's incapacitated for the rest of this movie. So oh, our, yeah. final, our yeah. final boy is done, and now we have this final girl back. Uh-huh. Oh, man, she gets shit done. I, it is so, so good. I, I love that she gets this reclamation of power. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is you think, oh, what a dumb bitch. Like, obviously, Jason is right there. He's going to grab your ankle if you get too close to him. <laughs> and she gets pulled under, I think, once. And then she is grabbing for that fucking propeller on this motorized canoe. <laughs> it's called a motorboat. Whatever. Motorboat. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she gets that bitch started and she just points it right at his neck. And it's very satisfying when we hear that sound effect of his neck breaking and we just go. I mean, he's basically getting motorboated by the motorboat. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> Only less sexy. That's actually a really good shot, too, because yeah, you do hear it, but you also see it like chipping mm -hmm. at, the bottom, at his chin a bit. And that looks yeah. really cool. Yeah. I will say, I think it's funny that we made a comparison in part seven to Creature from the Black Lagoon because we almost get another shot of that here in mm -hmm. a couple of different points, right? I think it's more specific when he grabs Tommy, but it's kind of clear that this franchise has an affinity for Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, yeah. That, and actually, too, that raft scene from two or three, whichever one it is, uh, mm -hmm. that's actually kind of the same thing. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> so all this to say he did and megan grabs tommy's body she gives him a little cpr mouth to mouth all of these kids are just standing around therapy for all of them trauma oh my God. everywhere i hope no one walked into paula's cabin <laughs> oh <laughs> oh i'll just grab paula or i'll grab sissy they'll know what to oh god i le i lent paula and sissy my deck of cards so they could play camp blood <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah okay so anyway he of course is fine so yay we can have our happy hetero finale yay. except of course the danger is not done because we do a little push into the water and we can see that jason's eye is still moving and he's ready to kill a bunch of queers in part seven yeah 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 so there were three endings shot for this movie okay Two of them, uh, not included on the DVD release, but um, at least this is what they're supposed to be. So one ending, Jason's mask floats to the surface of Crystal Lake, having become detached during his struggle with Megan. Sure. Next one, uh, Deputy Cologne tries to reach the jail cell keys after having locked in by Tommy and Megan, because we don't see him again for the rest no. of this movie. Yeah. The door to the police station opens, and the film abruptly ends, indicating that Jason managed to get free. What? Like no, yeah, that dumb. doesn't make any sense. You need to at least show Jason in that sense if you're not going to, like, whatever. Well, I guess you could do the... Oh, yeah, maybe do an empty door frame and you just have him looking at the door and then, like, yeah. zoom in and black out before something happens. The producers dislike both of those endings. <laughs> um, as each one left Jason's survival ambiguous and wanted it explicitly shown on screen that he was still capable of returning for a sequel, sure. which is why we have the ending we have with his eye. 
I mean, it's kind of funny because I feel like people are going to infer that he lived no matter what. Like, yeah. we've killed him in bigger and more sensational ways than that in previous entries. So I feel like if you said, and we're making another one, everybody would just be on board. Right? We literally had him like machete the top half of his head off in mm-hmm. part four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people will believe anything because we just want more of these movies. Like, you don't have to work so hard, folks. It really, I mean, honestly, he should be missing the top half of his head in this movie and just like having a... Headless, or not headless, Jason, but like head... Like top four, half? Four, four top headless. headless? Yeah. Four Brainless. Headless. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. That is Friday the 13th, part six, Jason lives. Wait, wait. Friday the 13th, colon, part six, dash, Jason lives. <laughs> right. Important. Very important. Oh, man. Well, I mean, y'all, I, I really, really do like this movie. Um, I It is my favorite in the franchise. I go back and forth between this and two because I find two to be the only legitimately scary entry in this franchise. And I find right. six to be the smartest entry in this franchise. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, uh, I, I think it's a ton of fun. But, yes, uh, I, I I will not lie and say it's a perfect film. There are definitely plenty of flaws here. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, I think I said it early on, if you're going to dial back on the characters, I would have expected mm-hmm. more gore. I do like a bunch of these as, like, isolated scenes, but on the whole, it doesn't fully add up to a movie. And honestly, Justice for Sissy and Paula fucking loved them, really wanted more of them. Yeah, and I, I will I will even co-sign with you on that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like much of a movie, because I, it's actually a thing where the 86-minute runtime, I think, hurts it. Hurts it hurts it, yeah. yeah. We, we could have added, like, five to ten more minutes, and I know it's a Friday the 13th. I know we're trying to do, like, quick and dirty and out the door give us your money but like you had good stuff here you could have you could have done a bit more yeah no i, I give it yeah i get what you're saying I, either get rid of some of the extra shit if you want to keep your own time and put it in with characters that we already have yeah or make it longer and give us more scenes with those characters but yes. that just I, but again you know like they're recording they're recording they're filming this in march and april for an august 1st mm-hmm. release so they don't have time for that shit no <laughs> we are shooting for 40 days and then we got to get this into theaters <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, we hope. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. We're covering this because this coming up Friday is Friday the 13th. So yeah, um, yeah. we finally yay. got it right this year. <laughs> we, we did. Oh my god, yeah, we did it wrong last time, y'all. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, before we announce what we're covering next week, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Join our Facebook Horror Queers group. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Uh, go to our YouTube channel to look at uh, our interviews with horror filmmakers uh, and our monthly hangouts in which we talk about a random horror topic, a social topic sometimes, every month with uh, some of our peers in the horror journalism community. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Uh, we're in May, so go subscribe to get episodes on horror movies that make us cry. The Sadness, the controversial zombie movie that's hitting Shudder, the remake of Firestarter, Alex Garland's Men, and an audio commentary on 28 Weeks Later to commemorate its 15th anniversary. And again, 28 Weeks Later, not Days. Yeah, the more <laughs> fast-paced sequel. Very much so. Uh, love me some Rosebarn. Yes. Now, <laughs> Joe. Mm-hmm. 
what are we checking out next week? Because I think I've asked you what this movie is three times, and I just don't remember it. <laughs> that is fair, because it is not a North American film. Folks, we haven't gone down under in quite some time, so <laughs> we also need to, like, go back another decade. So we're going to go check out Wake in Fright, which is... Uh, it's debatably a horror film, but it's definitely... <laughs> No, I because some people are like, ooh, it's a thriller. Some people are like, oh. ooh, it's a drama with like a lot of social messaging. But basically, it's about like toxic masculinity in the outback. I so okay, <laughs> uh, great. I, I I have no, I've never heard of this. Um, I'm actually kind of excited that this year I seem to be coming well, coming across a lot of movies we're programming, but I haven't heard of them. And um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I I know that we. We, I, me, you, I don't know. Can you, are we getting comfortable just wanting to watch movies that we know and love? And so I, I'm, I'm happy to finally get introduced to more stuff. Finally. I'm happy to get introduced to more stuff. New there stuff. we go. Yeah, it's like we can do our Friday the 13th and have a lot of fun with them. And then we can also check out some classic foreign horror and hopefully have fun with that as well. Australia is not foreign. They speak English. I'm just <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Everyone, well, to kick off. Uh, oh, my God. To uh, close it on that perfect joke. Uh, until next week, we can cross out Friday the 13th, part six. Jason lives. That's true. You make a fart head. <laughs> and uh, cross out horror queers. <laughs>